0: Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas Feezy. I don't know about you, but I just felt such joy with that that music uh, coming out. You just filled the whole place. It was just such a great beginning for us with the festival being here. I couldn't think of a better thing for you to play, and I'm extremely grateful uh, for you to do that. So... Good to have you with us. Uh, we're beginning a series this week on the nature of reality, and you know I can't think of a better, or larger, or more all-encompassing topic. And and uh, you might ask, you know, why is it that in a church on a Sunday we're looking at the nature of reality? This is our poster for the, uh, for the actual the, the course. Surely we should be studying God and the ways of the divine. And I would say, yes, that's true. But studying God and the ways of the divine surely must be about studying the nature of reality. Because if it's not based upon reality, what is it based on? What is real? And what is not real? If we don't really identify that, we're just living in some virtual reality of our mental realms, creating an idealized, fabricated reality that we then assume is real. You know, we assume I'm going to live in this world until suddenly we realize it's not. Ah, but I hear you say, you know, what about belief? What about faith? And I would say, yes, exactly. What about belief? And what about faith? How does that relate to what is actually real in the rocks are hard and water's wet thing? Carl Jung famously said, I do not believe in anything, but when I experience something, I know it to be true. Now, When I thought first of all of doing this series, I had the idea to publicise it by taking the poster from Ted Lasso uh, with, who knows, who does know Ted Lasso? Those of you that, thank you very much, I'm glad some of you do. Uh, With the one word believe on it um, and stick it on the posters and even have it up here in the chapel and ask the question, you know, what can you believe in? Is belief something, is belief something that you rest in? And that you hope will be true? Or is it, and I think this is the Ted Lasso idea of belief, is it the sense of the word, you know, is it an, an, I like this, an active aspiration to make real that which you sense is possible for the good of the whole? Is belief an active aspiration to make real that which you believe is possible? For the good of the whole, and I think we're in the business of believing in something that we hope will be true, because others have told us so. You know, if we, if we, if that's what our thing is, if we, if we believe in things because other people have told us that it's so, then I think we're deceiving ourselves for the sake of having an answer that's simple, and that we don't have to t- take the trouble to work out ourselves. You know, if you're just living in some belief that other people have given you you're not taking the trouble to work it out ourselves. But I do think that there's merit in the Ted Lasso form of belief as an aspiration to make real that which we sense is possible for the good of the whole. Unfortunately, the Ted Lasso incarnation of the series Never went anywhere because it was apparently there were copyright issues. So I decided I wasn't going to fight this one and have it. Uh, but uh, never mind. So, what I'm saying is that to explore the nature of reality, I think to explore the nature of reality is the big question in our time. What in the name of everything is real? And what are we making up so that we can live an easy life based upon what others have told us? I mean, you know, to bring it back to the God uh, context, is God real? Now, now that is a big one. And we have to ask that question, and we'll be asking it over the next eight weeks. So, (laughs) I'm not going to answer that question now, but we will be asking it. And yes, this is eight weeks, but if you miss any... You can always catch them on the podcasts and the recordings on our new upgraded website. Now, if you've not seen our new upgraded website, do have a look at it because it is completely different, uh, the website. Now, for those of you who are the visitors, um, the the, the red card in front of you on the chair in front of you shows you where you can get all the information from and how you can listen to the podcasts and how you can watch previous episodes that's the the red card you can just take that away with you the blue card uh, in front of you is if you um, want to keep in contact with us and find out what's going on in the chapel and you can just fill in the blue card fill in the blue card and stick it in the in the offertory plate or give it to somebody so there's a blue card and the red card it's like the matrix you know which pill are you going to take blue or red but anyways it's it's blue and red Uh, the blue card is for for us to keep in contact the red card is to to find out what's uh, uh, for you to find out what's going on so what's real is god real is jesus real are they both up there in the sky waiting for us or are they in our hearts in some spiritual way? Where did all of this come from? Where did we come from? Where are we going to? I mean, these are real questions that need real answers that normally we just avoid. You know, they're the things, well, I'm not going to answer that because nobody knows the answers to that. Not to be confused with the myths and legends that all the various religions and experts are pushing at us. You know, when we die, will our pets and all our friends and relatives meet us in paradise? That's a question. What happens when we die? Is there anything real that we can say about it? And if we have beliefs about that, is it really good enough to say, I believe it because it says so in the Bible? Is that good enough? We also have to ask, where do we come from? You know, what was the Big Bang? What happened before the Big Bang? What happened after? How come we were all on this planet? Where did each of us come from individually? How come we're alive now? And what does it mean to be alive? Do we have any responsibilities? Is there a deal that we need to be aware of? Is there a deal that that we're not aware of that we need to buy into? And those are just the existential questions. Then there are the other questions. Is climate change real? What is the threat to democracy? For those who watch the newsroom, is America the greatest country in the world? How... Do we come to answers to those questions? And what is truth anyway? Are there such things as alternative facts? And if so, how do we work out which alternatives we believe in? Politics, religion, society. You know, how do you define what's real? With gender, how fluid is it? With race, how, how does that pertain? With justice, is there such a thing? With peace, is it possible? Can we have a world without war? And if so, what reality would that be based on? It's not the answers to these questions that we need to address. That's the first thing I want to say. It's not the answers. I've asked all these questions. It is not the answers to these questions that we need to get to. It's the reality upon which we arrive at the answers. What are we basing our answers on? What is the reality that we are basing our answers on? The assumptions that we make, both conscious conscious assumptions and unconscious assumptions. What do we base our rationale on? You know, are we seeking the death of logic as a way of working things out in the world? Or does rationale still have a place? We think that we base our concepts on the reality of hard facts. But the way we've thought out those things changes. The way that we think out these things changes, both in our lives and it's changed over time. Our minds and the minds of humanity has changed over time. And you can see the stages of this this development. You can actually see those stages. And you can see them in some of the material that people like Ken Wilbur ha- have developed over that period of time. They show the basis on which people in the past and we in the present work out what the nature of reality is. Different stages of development. And so I'm just going to go through some of these stages because. Some of you may know this material, but it's really worth reminding ourselves that there are different stages in our lives as we go through our lives, and there are different stages in culture as culture goes through life. The first stage is obviously the infant stage. You know, the infant is really not differentiated from her mother, and other things are just really one big blob that are connected to the infant. You know, it's just blob mentality including the mother, including the person, it, it, it's all, you know, how we feel, you know, I want food now, and some of us carry on with that, I want food now, you know, I want to feel comfortable, I am not comfortable, ah! you know, I mean, that is the mentality that goes on, and we see infants, you know, and that's how they, that they operate, and you can, you can see that there's no difference, they don't care, infants just don't care and actually in a cultural sense as well you can see in these different in a cultural the the infant stage of development was there you know in the stone age time you know it's it's where they f- felt themselves as part of nature they lived by sensation and instinct there was a high level of sensing uncomfortableness danger it was all about reproduction there's no real culture they're not part of you know not a part of nature like environmentalists they were more unaware of it they just lived in it you know it's basic food water warmth uh, safety is a priority and you can see it in different different areas you can see it in you know sometimes in, in street people as that's that same mentality you can see it in late stage alzheimer's um, and they do say that you know one percent of the population live in this way and they have 0% power in the reality, you know, in, in life. So that's the first stage of it. The second st- stage of development I want to talk about is the magical stage. Now, this magical stage, really, in our human development, it's, it's age. And, and the reason I'm saying this is because in each of these stages of reality, what we base our idea of reality on changes. You know, the infant's nature of reality is just, I want food now. This bases its reality on a different level. And this, traditionally, it's the child between the age of two and seven has this sort of reality. It's the inability to distinguish between the contents of the mind and those of the external world. They're, They're completely egocentric. And it's, it's, it's as if the whole world revolves around them. In England, I'm English, by the way. In England, we have this wonderful little children's story written, uh, called, uh, uh, called Noddy, written by Enid Blyton. Has anyone heard of Noddy? It, very Yeah, very kids. But the important thing is Noddy goes off and has adventures with big ears. And the, the best example of magical rea- reality that I came across is Noddy is driving back with big ears in his car, and there's a signpost at the side of the road, and the signpost just says... Home four miles. As if the whole of the world, you know, was designed for naughty and vigors. You know, there was just someone, you know, everything was there for naughty and big, just at home four miles. So there's a total egocentric aspect to uh, what they are. There's the develop, you know, it, it, there's the development of magical beliefs, you know, invisible friends, the sun and moon, they follow us as they walk, you know, tearing a picture is going to hurt a person. You know, when, when kids of that age play hide and seek, you know, they hide behind a pillar. And because their head's behind the pillar, they think you can't see them, because they don't have the self-awareness to realize that the rest of them is out here. So they're totally involved in their own heads. Um, good and bad are seen in terms of reward and punishment. I mean, that's what good and bad is. It's not moral. You know, it's approval and disapproval of fair and parents, fairy stories. And you you see, this sort of thing you see in, in cultural terms, in terms of, of the tribes in culture. You know, not taking a picture because it's going to take their soul. Uh, you know, blood ties, animism. The sky and thunderstorms are seen as being alive. Natural phenomena can be controlled by word ceremony. Now, listen, I'm not saying that this is bad. You know, rain dances are in this area. But, you know, and the interesting thing is we live in these and I'll come back to this, but all these areas exist in our lives at the moment. You know, we, we all, you know, when we want our food, I want to drink now. You're an infant, you're an infant there. We all do still live in this, but this is, this is the basic area. And um, it's strong in developing countries, gangs, funnily enough, athletic teams, corporate tribes. And they say that 10% of the population live in this form of of reality, and they have 1% power. So we move on to the next stage, which is mythical consciousness. Now, this is adolescence, seven to adolescence. And really, it's, there's an awareness here of the concreteness of the world. You know, parents, teachers, rocks are hard, water's wet. It's all about rules. It's the law and order stage of development. What daddy says is, you know, what daddy says is right. Whether or not it's wrong, it is right. My parents, right or wrong. My God, right or wrong. My country, right or wrong. You know, in this stage of development, diversity causes confusion. The inner world is populated by powerful gods, could be parents, could be teachers, could be politicians, who have an effect, you know, The Easter Bunny, Santa, ogres and devils are all within this area. And a child will get what it gets because it's good. And if they're bad, they'll get what they don't want. And it no longer believes it can make the world do its bidding by magic. In this stage, it's not magic that makes things happen. It's by actually appeasing whatever gods that you have. Parents, politicians, whatever it is. It's by appeasing the gods whoever they may be. Now, culturally, mythical consciousness, it really emerges with, you know, it's, it's when you begin to emerge as self-distinct from the tribe, you know. You, you develop your tribes and you, and you become, it's right or wrong, nationalism, uh, conversion. Either you, you get on side, my way or the highway is this, the elimination of others, you know, Nords, gods in the skies, Greek gods, the desire to impose beliefs on others through whatever power is possible. This, this group wants to do that. Crusades, jihad, the dominant culture in religions, this is. Rebellious youth, frontier mentality, James Bond villains are in this mentality. Gang leaders, wild rock stars, Attila the Han, Lord of the Flies... Violating codes has severe repercussions in this stage. Hierarchies, paternalistic, law and order, control through guilt, um, conforming. Puritan America was in this stage. in England, codes of chivalry, moral majority, patriotism. 60% of the population live in this one. And they have 35% of the power. So, we now get on to rational consciousness. You know, children lean in, they learn to rationalize, work things out from themselves. It's the death of mythical consciousness, the rebirth of rational consciousness, begins in adolescence. Galileo, you know, yes of course, you know, the, the earth doesn't, everything doesn't revolve around the earth. Suddenly. It's about the reasons for things, the ability to think abstractly with rules and logic. that's what we, we go into. The world becomes something to examine and uh, understand, not just a, a room. In the old days, the Earth was a room with a dome, the heavens was a dome, and you lived in it, and that was it. And this sh- was shattered by that by Galileo. And you know, you can see rational consciousness culturally. It's the dominant level in society at the moment. Universities, governments, the en- enlightenment lifting us culturally from the mythical level, it's achievement-oriented, materialistic gains. And it's seen, you know, in Wall Street, emerging middle classes, the cosmetics industry, trophy hunting, colonialism, secular humanism, liberal self-interest. 30% of the population live in this with 50% of the power. That's where this is. So we then move on from, from this and to a different stage, of visionary, the, the idea of a visionary stage where it's beyond thinking rationally to thinking abs, you know, abstractly, thinking in three dimensions. The ability to make connections beyond current thinking, to, being, to see the mind and the process of thinking as a part of working things out. The need to free the human spirit from greed. It's an egalitarian area. The value of communities, diversity, multiculturalism. Reality becomes more aspirational. Ted Lasso belief. What should be true? In the old days, Christianity, the big question was, is it true? The question nowadays is, does it work? That's the key question. You know. And you go from rationalism to what should be true. How do we live our lives more skillfully? That's what we do here at the chapel, work out how to live our lives more skillfully. And really, you know, it's the idea of green thinking, new age, planetary thinking, ecology. You can see in, you know, post humanistic psychology, green peace, animal rights, politically correct, post-colonial, human rights issues, diversity movements. 10% of the population live in this, era, this area here, 15% of the power. And finally, you'll be relieved here, we move on to soul consciousness. And this is really a quantum shift to the gateposts. And it's an awareness of ourselves as a part of something bigger. Almost die to the old levels and become a new person. The idea of being born again in, in, in the enlightenment things are within this area. And you know this really has the idea of you know, an expanded vision... You can see this desire to tell others, less attracted to beliefs, awareness of the mind, um, grand unification, new spirituality, a meshwork of all existence. I mean, you know, in the chapel we aspire to this level in the last one as well. And um, multiple levels of, uh, uh, of interaction, it detects harmonics, mystical stuff like that. 0.1% 0.1% of the population live in this area here, and it has 1% of the power. <laughs> it's not, not really there. So immediately you can see that each of these areas bases their notions of reality on different assumptions. That's the point I want to really make here. We do think, oh, yeah, well, I know what reality is. Boom, 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 boom. But what are we basing that on? You know, someone in infant... Uh, Uh, stage is going to be based on completely different from someone in mythical, magical, rational, the infant, they all have assumptions. The infant assumption is that everything just is. One big blob, one big blob, including myself, including oneself. The magical assumption is that the mind is linked to the external world. That's the basic magical assumption. The mythical assumption is that the world is ruled by by gods and demons. The rational assumption is that everything can be worked out and proved. The visionary assumption is that everything is linked in some way. We don't know how, and we can be a force for good. And the sole assumption is that we are a part of the greater whole. In each case, those using these assumptions think they're operating out of what they think is real, and they act accordingly. We can't argue them out of their assumptions because they think that their assumptions are actual reality. And in fact, all of us are susceptible to this. We arrive at a point of assumption, and we operate out of that assumption. We are acting out of our assumptions and then we take it to be real. And if we are honest, we fight to the death to defend those assumptions. That's how wars start. People make assumptions and then act as if they were real. Putin assumed that Ukraine is a threat to Russia, or that his destiny to resort, to, a, to, to resort, you know, to return to a greater Russia was a price, you know, it was a price worth painful. He made the assumption at the beginning that it was going to be easy. And that one assumption he's had to let go of. And that's how we move from one stage of reality to the other. We're not argued out of whatever stage of reality we live in. We have to learn the hard way that it just doesn't work. The church learned the hard way from Galileo. They tried to torture him, beat him up, but they had to learn the hard way. All growth and understanding about reality comes from an inner realisation. There is an inner realisation that produces a deduction then we move to a different form of reality. You can see it in children. It's easiest in children. When they're very little, children... Think they're absolutely perfect. We tell them that. Oh, what a beautiful painting! This blob on, on, on a paper. Oh, that's so wonderful. Even when they go, what a beautiful poo you've done. Oh, that is just so amazing. You know, everything cannot be anything but completely perfect. They can do no wrong. And then suddenly they take up some crayons and they think they'll do a picture on the wall in the sitting room. And they draw this picture with their crayons in the with the wall in the sitting room. And the parent walks in and goes, What have you done? And suddenly the child is terrified because the first time in their lives, guess what? They're not perfect. And there's this huge inner realisation that up to now, everything they did was totally okay. And suddenly, just because they have drawn a lovely picture on the wall, they are not perfect. And so they have an inner realisation that they're not perfect. And suddenly what they decide to do is they then have the real, the the question comes to them, what must I do to be perfect? That's the next question. What must I do to, I'm not perfect with my mum, what must I do to be perfect? And of course the awful answer is, I must do what I think they'll approve of. And that's where corruption in life comes in because they decide to do what they think they'll approve of. And they then move much more into the sort of magical and mythical level. They're trying to placate and things like that. And the reality changes, and the reality just moves on from one to the other. And you can see it. You can see how the reality moves You know, from that inner realisation. That's how we move through these different realities, from infant to magical to mythical. And you can see it in history, from the Stone Age. I'm on the last page. So, those of you who are thinking help, I'm on the last page. From Stone Age to folk religion, to thought-out mythical religions, to rationality, to enlightenment, to visionary green movements, to the soul that produces enlightenment. We move through all these different perspectives of reality. And when we're looking at what the nature of reality is, we really have to be aware of where we're looking from. Take that hand. Says there are two kinds of knots. One knot is our notions and ideas. Everyone has notions and ideas and we're attached to them. But while we're attached to them, we're not free. So we have no chance to touch the truth of life. The second knot is our afflictions like anger, fear, discrimination, despair, and arrogance. All these things should be removed in order to be free. And what we're going to start begin to look at is how do we actually remove these so that we can be free and that we can see individually how our realities are created. Thank you. I'm afraid our, our screen does take a while to go up, but it, that's just a reality. thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you, and if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.